0: Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 21, verse 15. Our usher is going to be passing you something out here this morning, and just save that until the very end of service, and we'll talk about that just for a moment. But John chapter 21, verse 15, I want to start a series this morning called Why I Love Jesus. Basically, I want us to be able to tell people the reason for the hope that we have, but also to fall more and more in love with Jesus uh, over these next many weeks. We're going to be talking about this, but how to, fall in G- how to fall in love with Jesus is what I really want to intro and open up this series with this morning. How do we fall in love? How do we fall in love? I've been privileged to fall in love with three women in my lifetime, really four, uh, that would be my mom, uh, my wife, and my two little girls. Uh, And how do we fall in love? And this week, as I was praying over this series and praying over this morning, something really came to me and and just the steps or the stages of how we all fall in love. And this is really just taken from my life story and how I've fallen in love. But I want I believe it applies not only to us in our relationships as maybe a husband or a wife, uh, but as parents, but also with God. And so I think, let me give you seven quick steps, seven quick steps, uh, not on how to fall in love, but really the stages of falling in love. Uh, And the first one is this, it's attraction. I remember uh, seeing my wife, I was 16 years old, and I happened to have a homeroom or study hall with her, and I'd known her from uh, our church, actually, but I really didn't have a relationship or haven't ever really talked to her that much. But I had a homeroom with her, and she was a couple tables away, and I got to just stare at her. Uh, for about an hour every day uh, in our high school year a year I was I think I was in 10th grade or so and I became attracted to her she was tall she had long hair long legs and and I was 16 and she's a good Christian girl and there wasn't very many of those in our high school Uh, and I had opportunity you know I mean she went to my church she went to my school we were in marching band together and and all that and so uh, I became attracted to her and the same is true even as a parent Man, that first moment when you uh, not only just hear the sonogram and the heartbeat, but that first moment you see that baby in that hospital, man, you just become attracted to them. They, there's something there uh, about it, and so that first one is attraction. But you know, not that's not really fully love because that could have just ended there with me and Beth, and that could have been it. While well, she's a good-looking Christian girl, or even fathers, there are many fathers that might be biologically uh they're a dad a father right but there's nothing beyond it they okay they went to the hospital visit but some dads bail out even after that and you just say well number one attraction that's really just the beginning right of love because that's not it and then we go into uh pursuing number two so number one is attraction number two is pursuing and i call this the hunt this is the hunt. I'm on the prowl for that girl. You know, I begin to figure out how I can sit next to her at church or different places or how we, I remember we had these Valentine's banquets uh, at our church and my mom would kind of help us, you know, struggle to where we were sitting next to each other at these banquets. This is church youth groups right back in the 90s, right? Uh, and, we, and, you know, we begin to pursue and, you know, a little word here on on Messenger and you'd begin to kind of talk and build that relationship and it was This second level is where you take an interest or you hunt or you pursue uh, and you discover, hey, is this relationship going to work? The same, I think, is true as a as a parent. When you begin to hunt or pursue your children that that, you know, you come home and they're who you want to spend time with, that you're pursuing them. It's uh, playing with them or spending time with them. I remember, you know, watching your your kids sleep. You know, especially when they're young and maybe a little colicky and you're rocking them and they finally go to sleep and you're just sitting there and you just watch them sleep. You've pursued them. There's a relationship that I've gone the extra mile uh, to try to get to know. But even then, some dads still quit after that relationship. This the pursuit. Sometimes it's not all that they thought it would be or a life other things come into place. And so it ends with attraction and pursuit. Then it goes on. Same thing with dating. You, you pursue a person, but find it may not Work out, which leads you to number three, which I call time and touch. This is the level of investigation. This is where you make an emotional and physical connection. So you might call this the, the beginning of a dating relationship. Our first date was at Steak and Shake, and I can remember that taking her out to the. I was I was loaded back then, right? Steak and we don't even have those here, but it's kind of like a an upscale. Uh, I don't know, Whataburger or something like that. It's you know ice cream and hamburgers and stuff. Really good. And go there and we go to a movie. And, and you know, you begin to date and in that first moment you hold hands and maybe there's the first kiss and all that. And you have an emotional and a physical connection. Even as a parent uh, to those children, it's an emotional in physical connection, I've spent, I've attracted to them, I pursue my child, I look at them, I long for them, I spend time with them, and it's those moments of throwing your kid up in the air and catching them and seeing them laugh, and they look at your face, and, and you do something, and you stick your tongue out, and they stick their tongue out, and, and you make this emotional bond, and we're, we're in this relationship of figuring each other out, and I learn their cries, and I learn what's, what they like and what they don't like, and it's a lot of poopy diapers, Right? It's a very intimate, and that's that time and touch. I'm investigating. I'm making that emotional, physical connection, and then sometimes this comes really early, and that's number four is infatuation, and this is where you are head over heels, uh, you know, just over the top, uh, obsessed with this person, and this is the moment where, you know, mom and dad gets onto to those people who are dating, and they just want to spend every waking hour, and you're talking at 3 a.m. in the morning uh, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and it's all you want to do, or maybe... Some of you guys, you were writing letters all the time to that significant other way back when, and you were just all you could think about is getting off of school or work and wanting to talk to that person. Same thing with your kids, man. Some of these parents on Facebook, they are infatuated with their kids every day. It's what my kid does or doesn't do, and what how much of their peanut butter jelly sandwich they ate, and and all this stuff. And and we're like, we don't care, but they are just in love with their kids. How many parents know I'm talking about? You're infatuated with them. Everything they do is the best thing they've ever done, or the better than any other kid. And you are infatuated. They have your time, your, your money, all your joys, and you dream about their future and your future together as a family. And the same is true with dating. You begin to dream about your future and you're infatuated. But many relationships even fail there. That dating relationship, something happens and it, and it just doesn't last. Or uh, maybe it's that parent who finds that life is just too hard. And they even, so that, that one man, I've, I've known parents that have abandoned their children, but they, you know, they're, they're still infatuated with them, but they don't have any commitment or financial responsibility. How many people know what I'm talking about? You can be infatuated with your children and not be in love. Are you with me this morning? Because it must go from stage one attraction to stage two pursuing to stage three time and touch, then to stage four infatuation, and then something real happens. Stage five, it's an exclusive lifelong commitment. I remember asking my wife to marry me. We happened to have a big family vacation where she was able to tag along with us. Uh, and we stayed in separate rooms, okay, before those of you who just began to dream out there or oh, Pastor Heath's history, but uh, uh, Waikiki Beach, you know, I asked her to, pro- I proposed on one knee, and and, we, and I can tell you what, I, w- I dated for, for six years, and I was so nervous. Because I knew as a as a conservative person, as a person who grew up this way that it, this was a uh, you 're done buddy it 's over there 's no divorce we don 't believe in divorce in our families and and you are about to make the decision of a lifetime and who can make that decision at twenty two years old or whatever old I was you know and so it was an exclusive, lifelong commitment, and I had to pray about it, and I knew this was the person for my life, but I still had to. Get over that moment of, okay, and I can remember even on the wedding day thinking, oh, I've got butterflies in my stomach, and, I, and of, of course we've been together forever. Ever, it's going to be great, and I had no worries about that. But there's something about making a lifelong commitment to a person that, that takes some, uh, some choice, some real life-changing choices. And for a parent, I think this is this moment, and it's an exclusive lifelong commitment for a parent is this. That moment, I think everybody who's a parent might understand It's that moment when you realize you can no longer do what you want anymore, right? It's that moment where you realize I'm not just Heath Harris, I'm daddy. I'm not just the husband of Beth, the son of Mike and Connie, I am dad. And that dad role will never change, it will never go away. In my life, for many months, my wife and I joke about this all the time, but when we had kids, our lives ended. Isn't that truth? You can laugh a little because that's true, right? Your life ends, and it should because it's supposed to. Because you have now entered into a lifelong commitment to give yourself up for two little bitty beings or however many kids you have, right? It's an exclusive lifelong commitment that changes your identity. It changes your identity. It changes who you are. It changes what you're going to do and how you're going to spend your money. And what that leads to is a decision that says, I believe in this love enough to commit my whole self to it. I believe in this love for my wife enough to commit my whole self to her. I believe in these children enough to commit my whole self to their love. And what that leads me to do is to go to number six is a life of faithfulness. This is a life where it is the, is the test of your love, it's the proof of your love, it says that in a marital, a marital relationship, it says that, okay, we're going to overcome debt, we're going to overcome life trials, we're going to overcome disappointments, we're going to overcome bad times and good times and sickness and in health, till death do us part. It's a faithful choice. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you to the very end. And they, that's that life of faithfulness. And for a father or a mother, it's the same thing. It is, I have, no matter if my kid is a good kid or a bad kid, or even on those tired days, they know they can call me. Even if they are drunk in a ditch, they know they can call me. That is that life of faithfulness. I am going to be a faithful father or a faithful mother. And that is the proof of your love. Faithfulness is the life from the moment you say I do to the day that you part this earth. You're saying, I will be faithful. Are you perfect? No. Will there always be good times? No. Will there be disappointments? Yes. But it says, I won't give up on this love. That's faithfulness. And the secret to lasting through all these is number seven. Number seven is a life of reflection. For a, a, a spouse, it's that moment Where you're there, and man, their hair is a mess, and they smell, and they're all sweaty, and they just got done jogging or doing the dishes or cleaning the house or whatever. And you just look at them, and you get that glimpse, and you're saying, I can still see the person I started out with. And they're just as beautiful as they ever were. And it's that moment where you can think back, and you can get out those old family photos, and you can look back at how... Ugly you were with your buck teeth and your freckles or whatever. And you look at your life and you remember and you reflect and you romance on it. And that helps you in a day. And I'm telling you, parents are married people. If you're in those situations, you need to have memories on your wall. You need to have memories of the good times. You need to write things down, and, and you can look back and say, look, we were in love once, and we're still in love again today, and we can still be in love again tomorrow. It's times of reflections that we can come back to and, and remember that good vacation or that good thing we did. And same for our family. Your parents, you can go back with your kids and remember when they were all little and say, oh, how cute they are. And I mean, those teenagers they really annoyed the heck out of me, but look how cute they were, and, and I still love them. They're so proud of the man or the woman they've become today. And that's reflection. It keeps that love alive. It keeps that flame burning. And you you don't lose hopelessness for the day because you can look back and say, wow, good times existed and good times can exist again. And I think those are seven stages, seven steps of a person who is falling or who has fallen in love, and you could say, well, you can skip a few, or go faster in different stages, but overall, I think that's the the life that we see lived out as people, and how God has made us to be, and I think love is defined, and several, uh, I think authors would uh, agree with me, is that love is the choice to sacrifice self For the benefit of somebody else. It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice to die to self... For the sake of blessing someone else. I die to myself for working hard to provide for my family. I die to self and let my wife choose where to go eat at night or, or whatever. Or I die to my own dreams and ambitions and I give up the things I want to spend my money on to put money into my kids' college or career. That's love. It's not just the attraction and the pursuing and the touchy-touchy and the infatuation. Love is that moment where you say, I believe this love is worth everything. I believe this love is worth everything. Because some people just want to live up here in this romantic style of love. But it has to go down all the way to the bottom where you say, the proof of my love is I will be faithful to you no matter what. And I will continue to reflect upon how much I love you. And 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Let me say this. I didn't come here just to give you parenting and marital advice. I want to talk to you about the status of our love with God. Because I believe this. I believe we can love Christ without being in love with Christ. We can so easily love Christ without being in love in love with christ and so many americans are in stages one two three or four they're attracted or they're pursuing or they're owning the time and touch or the infatuated but very few today in our modern context are making it to the exclusive commitment a life of faithfulness and living with reflection Upon Jesus Christ. And, and they're attracted to what Jesus has to offer perhaps. They may pursue him. They may want to experience his touch at times in a church service. They may be going so far to be infatuated with Jesus for a season. But then something comes along. And however it happens. They leave this dating relationship. And they never fully commit to that lifelong faithful commitment. And we can love Christ without being in love with Him. So this morning, have you fallen in love with Jesus? Are you just attracted to Him? Are you in a relationship with God that is more about what He can do for you than what you can do for Him? Are you in a relationship with God that is only based on the highs and has difficulty going through the lows? Are we in a relationship with God that is exclusive, that is lifelong, that the proof of our love is our faithful endurance to the very end, so look with me in John chapter twenty one verse fifteen I want to talk to you real briefly about uh, a man named Peter. let me set it up for us this morning. Peter uh, was a disciple, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had walked with Jesus for three years thereabout and he had seen God uh, in Christ do some amazing things. He had seen him uh, do water into wine, walk on the ocean and the sea. Uh, he had saw him multiply the loaves. He'd seen all kinds of great things. He had even go so far to confess him as the Christ Messiah, the Davidic chosen one, the profi- prophesied one. He would see him high and lifted up and translated or, uh, or uh, glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration and glow and see Moses and, and uh, Elijah there talking to him. And he would see him, and he would build an altar, and one, he just said, this is him, this is God, this is the one we waited for, but yet he still struggled, and even at times, Jesus would have to rebuke him for his lack of faith, and there came a moment where Peter said, Jesus, I will be with you to the very end, I will even suffer and die with you, I want to live and reign with you, I love you, you're the Messiah, but life comes along, and things get a little harder than we think they are, and that love gets tested, and on that day of crucifixion, that Friday night, Peter would deny Jesus three times. People would ask him, do you know this man? Do you know this man? Are you in relationship with this man? And three times, and the last time he'd even curse and say, no, I do not know this man. Leave me alone. And and he would deny him. And on that day, Peter would be broken in his love for Christ. Fast forward and days would go by. Jesus would be resurrected and come back. And one day he would appear to them. And on the Sea of Galilee, he would come back and call them ashore. And that's where we are on John 21, verse 15. Jesus calls them from a boat and has breakfast prepared for them. And he says this. I'm reading from the New Living. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What is Jesus doing here? Number one is this, that Jesus takes him back to the very place where Peter was attracted to Jesus. He goes, he meets him back where it all began. Think about it. He takes him back to the dating relationship. He takes him back to where they first made eye to eye, where Peter first thought Jesus was something worth following, like that boy that sees that girl. Maybe there's something to this. I like what I see. Peter, he took him back to that moment, to the place where it all began, where he was attracted. And he began to pursue Jesus. That's step one, step two, where he was attracted and began to pursue Jesus. He left his nets and began to follow Jesus. And he says, Peter, do you love me in the place where it all began? Yes, God, I, I, I think about that moment where I met you on that sea, where I heard that you were doing signs and wonders and miracles. I remember that day that I left everything. I left my daddy and my brothers and, and, and all my family in this boat and this business that I had. And I left my job and I, I thought you were worth it all and I left it to follow you. Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And then Jesus takes another step and he uses his first name, the name that he had before he was a disciple. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? That's the name that Peter was born with. That's his pre-Christian name because there was a, a time in Peter's life where he, Jesus would say, Simon, who do you think that I am? And, and he would say, Jesus, I, I know you're the Christ. You're the God-man. You're, you're the Davidic Messiah, the prophesied, the chosen one who's going to save all of us. And he says, well, now your name is not going to be just Simon. It's going to be Peter, the Little Rock. I'm the big rock. I'll build my church. You'll be Little Rock, Petros. You'll be the rock. And I'm going to name you Rock now. And he brings him back to that point again. Do you remember the time, Peter, you believed that I was who I say I am? Do you remember the time, Peter, that you confessed me as Lord, as Messiah? And he says, yes, God, you know I love you. And I don't think Peter really knew what was really going on. And I think he was in that moment. He was probably cooking that fish, putting some seasoning on it, thinking, man, this is pretty good, and I'm glad Jesus is back now. And then Jesus does it again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter has Realize Jesus is not just asking him about loving him because he says the first time, he says, do you love me more than these? And he's saying, do you love me more than these other guys? Yes, God. Do you love me more than fishing? Yes, God. I know that I'm fishing right now and I was supposed to be where, you know, you called us to go preach to God. But but yes, God, I love you more than these friends and these brothers. I love you more than fishing. God, I remember the time I was called by you and left everything. I love you, Lord. And I remember the time I believed you were the Christ Messiah. I love you, Lord. And Peter gets a click in his heart heart. Now the third time Jesus is asking what you think goes through Peter's mind in that moment, he remembers standing out there on that Friday night. He remembers that little girl and that servant. He remembers that other person and they had asked him, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? And it clicked. Jesus is undoing something I've done. I remember now the moment I forsook him. I remember the moment now I left him alone. I remember the moment now he bled and died for me because the Bible says at that moment that rooster crowed that Jesus and Peter made eyes. And I can think about the disappointment and the failure in Peter's heart and his condition and that brokenness of love and I know I love him but I don't know how much I love him and that it didn't stand the test of time and I failed. You ever failed somebody in your love before? You ever disappointed somebody whom you loved before? And in that moment Peter recalls it and all those emotions come flooding back and the Bible says that Peter was hurt even to the depth into the core that Peter began to weep, and he began to cry out in weeping, in tears, out of failure. Lord, I do love you. And what has Jesus been saying this whole time about Peter? He says, Peter, I know you've loved me with attraction. Lord, I know you've loved me in pursuing me. I know you've loved me with time and touch. I know that you've seen me do miracles. You spent time with me. I've touched your life. I've healed your mother-in-law. You've seen me touch touch you and touch that. And I, Peter, I know that you've you've been obsessed with me. Peter, you even would cut a man's ear off for me. Lord, you know we know you're obsessed. You left everything to follow me. But Peter, it was more than just attraction. It was more than just pursuing me. It was more than just time and touch with me. It was more than just being infatu- infatuated with me, Peter. It was a lifelong choice to be faithful. And Peter, I'm asking you, if you truly, truly love me, then be faithful. Peter, if you love me, then be faithful. Peter, if you love me, then be faithful. Feed my sheep, Peter. Work with my church. Build my church. Work with my people. Shepherd my little ones, is what he basically says, is feed the little ones, Peter. Peter, shepherd the middle ones, the, the teenager ones, the middle-aged ones, the young adult ones. Shepherd them and, fe- Peter, feed the older ones too. Peter, feed the- shepherd all of them, Peter. Care for the people I'm leaving behind. Continue this mission. Be faithful. If you love me, Peter, don't just be attracted to me. Don't just pursue me. Don't just want what I have to touch you in my life with, Peter. Don't just be obsessed with, obsessed with me, Peter. Make a lifelong commitment to be faithful with me, Peter if you love me Jesus was asking for a proof of Peter's love you see Peter had failed the test of that faithfulness the first time even having said i would die with him he failed that test and Jesus then goes on to another passage and says Peter there's coming a day where you know you thought you could go around like you want but there's going to be a day where people are going to lead you and ultimately saying Peter you're going to have another opportunity in your life to prove your love. And we know years would go by and Peter would follow that opportunity and they would lead him into Rome and Peter would, uh, uh, tradition says, be crucified upside down because he couldn't even fathom his life being crucified in the same position as Christ. And he would ask them to turn him upside down. And he would on that day then probably remember that moment. I believe that day Peter remembered this moment when he was dying on that cross after years and years of faithful living, having preached the gospel around the world, seen God do many things, he proved his life of love, and he died with Christ on that day. Isn't it wonderful how Jesus gives us second chances? Now, you may be saying, Jesus, I really want a second chance to die, but Peter got his second chance to prove his love. We can be thinking we love Christ but failing to be in love with Him. Mom and Dad, Christ is calling you to be faithful. Young person, Christ is calling you to be faithful. He's looking for a faithful love, an exclusive, lifelong love that indicates the depth of your relationship. It's a love that seeks Him first, that denies self and forsakes all others. So a question for us today is, where is my love, Heath? Heath, where is your love? Is it a self-focused love? Heath, is it a love that is just all about what you can get out of Christ? Is it all about the highs and the dating and the holding the hands and and how awesome it is to be in the house of God and get the oozy, ooey-gooey, goosebump feelings? But when real life comes and the rubber hits the road and disappointments come and death and disease and disaster disaster and dark places, do I have a love that endures every circumstance? Because love never fails. Love always endures. Do, do I have a love that is all about what I can get out of a relationship? Do I have a love that is going to pass the test, that will go the distance? And do I have a love that will produce faithfulness? Do I have a love that Jesus can say, feed my sheep? you love me? Be faithful with what I've called you to do. Do you love me? Then prove it because we can love Christ without being in love with him. I remember the moment uh, when I wanted to say, yes, I love you to Jesus. I remember growing up a very religious person, and I, I don't, I, I think I was saved, and that bothers me even to say that, because I would never want to go back and live in the place of question. But I love God, and I read my Bible, and I prayed that now lay me down to sleep prayer that we're supposed to pray as good little southern Christian kids and and I invited people to church and I went to church and and I I read the bible in a year and I went to youth group and I played on stage uh with my mom and my dad and and uh was there every time the doors were open but I didn't love God in the way that I do now and I didn't really have that infatuation with God There's a lot of things I wouldn't do for God. Back in the day, I would never raise my hands for God. I would never go talk to a stranger for God. I I didn't have the joy uh, bubbling over me, and I didn't have this lifelong commitment of faithfulness that would overcome every doubt. I remember going to college, and, and all these facts from a secular university come at me about what is true and not true in the Bible. And my doubt, my question, and my love for God would be tested on that day. And if it wasn't for an encounter with God, as a high school student right before I went to college where God's touch became so real that it was I was attracted and I would pursue God, but then the moment He touched me, I became obsessed with Him. You see that? I was attracted to God, I pursued Him a little bit, but then He touched me. Oh, man, after that touch of the Holy Spirit, man, I just got on fire. I got everything I could learn about God. I bought books and books and books on the Holy Spirit and books on this and books on that. And I would go to church and I would read and I would pray and I would seek after God. And there was an infatuation with him. But then there came this moment where God would ask me, Heath, do you really love me? Do you trust me? And yes, God, I really love you. I really trust you. And he says, then give up your degree. Give up that $60,000 in debt that you have. Give up that, that thing you've pursued since you were a ninth grader in college and give it up and go all in with me. Let me tell you, I was a year-long struggle to give up a degree and to go all in with Jesus and go to a career of public speaking when I was a back row kind of a person, shy, quiet in the back, and, and gave all and say, Heath, go do something you never could do on your own. Do something you never have a desire to do. You don't even like people, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to give up all that you are and all that you think you are if you love me. There was a defining moment in, a, in my bedroom I don't remember the day. I remember I think it was a Tuesday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I was praying. And I knelt, fell down onto my bed at the corner of my bed, and I said, God, yes, you can have my past because that's easy. I want to give up my past and my failures. God, you can have my present. Yes, I'll serve you now. I'll, I'll be a part of church. I'll go all in. I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. You can have my, my, my present. And when I said, God, you can have my future, it was like this wave rushed over me, and I knew I would never be happy unless I did what God was asking me to do, and that was go into full-time ministry. And then everything changed from there. And, you know, there's this church in in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 that Jesus comes just a few years after Paul had preached it and pioneered it, and John had now spoken prophetically to it, and John would hear the voice of Jesus speaking to this church in Ephesus at the end of John's life, just maybe 30 years after Jesus had come and the church had been planted once a favorite church, ascending church, a very strong church. And Jesus would say, Church, I know your deeds. I know that you toil. I know that you're persevering. I know that you put evil men out. I know that you test every speaker that comes to your platform, that speaks from your pulpit. You make sure they have sound doctrine. I know that you endure despite the persecution in the world today. I know that you're trying, that you've done a good job, but yet I have one thing against you. You've left your first love. I was troubled this week as I read that. I'm thinking, God, how can that be? These are people that are pushing out false doctrine. They're they're striving in the last days. God, they're they're pressing in. They know the right stuff. They're even telling people about you. They're sending missionaries. They're hosting missionaries. They're sending missionaries out. They've got some of the best speakers, Lord. They've got the best programs. They're doing it all. And he says, yeah, but they are not in love with me. Sure, they love me but they're not in love with me. And the question is so very serious in the hour that we're living in today because so many Christians are lulling away to a sleep into a dead relationship with Jesus Christ, and we can have the best programs and kids' ministries and speakers and media, and we can plant churches around the world, we can host missionaries, we can have revivals, we can send all kinds of money to to Africa, but yet we can fail to be in love with Jesus Christ. And I think, God, how can that be? And it's the same as this. We're in stages one through four. I'm attracted. I'm pursuing. I like His touch. I'm a little obsessed with Him at times. But I'm not faithful. I'm not exclusive. And I fail to reflect on really who He is. Look at these stages again. You know, Isaiah says in step one, attraction. I want to go over this with just us now. Because we can love Christ without being in love with him. Number one, attraction. Isaiah 53 says he wasn't a very stately man. He wasn't attracted. There was nothing to even attract people to him. And today, the same is true. So many fail to get beyond the attraction stage with Jesus because they just see Him as a plain man, as something, another guy who started a church or religion somewhere. I'm talking even good Christians in in the Bible Belt of the United States of America. Jesus is just another guy who has another church. It's just a religion. And they don't ever confess that publicly, but in their hearts, they're failing to really be attracted to Him because they just see Him as normal. It's just a normal part of life to have a Christian thing and a, and a tradition and a Bible and a flag and a gun and, and have good morals and code of conduct. And we, we want our schools to pray and we want to read our Bibles freely. Yeah, but you're not in love with him. You're politically Christian. You're morally Christian. You vote Christian. But you don't see him high and lifted up and exalted seated at the right hand of the Father. You don't really have a scope of how awesome and how worthy and how world-shaking this God is. And we fail to see Him, who He is, and how He is, so we fail to be attracted, which leads us to fail to pursue Him. That next step, for many people, Jesus is only an interest but they haven't spent the time to get to know Him. It's like that disciple in Luke 9 who was interested. uh, He was the interested disciple. He said, Jesus, I want to follow You, but first, let me go take care of my affairs at home and make sure my kids are fed my wife's got it the dog's got water and, and now once i get everything lined out at home and, and get everything said and make sure someone's going to mow my yard and feed my fish and, and god when the time is right i'll catch back up with you a few towns from now but i want to follow you jesus and what does jesus say he says people who put their hands to the plow but look back are not fit not worthy they're not going to make it in the kingdom You're not really interested in pursuing Jesus. You want to pursue Jesus to the point of self. And when self comes in the picture, then we don't want to give that up. And I'll come to church so long as it works for me. I'll listen to the pastor so long as he preaches it like I like to preach it. Or I'll come to the church as long as they sing songs like I like to sing songs. And as long as someone uh, follows up with me and miss when I miss six weeks, I hope I get a card. I mean, that's the American church today. No one came and talked to me. No one did this for me. You're pursuing Christ at the expense of pursuing self. What is that? You need to give up self and pursue him. You're not pursuing Heath Harris You're not pursuing sanctuary. You're not pursuing the best church in the parish, which I believe. You're not pursuing us. We're pursuing Jesus because we see him high and lifted up. And so that causes me to pursue him at the forsaking of self. And that leads me to number three. Oh, when I want to pursue him, I want to spend time with him. I want to touch him. There are some people who are scared of touching Jesus. Jesus. You know, when I was in a relationship, no one ever had to tell me, you ought to hold hands with your girlfriend or give her a hug or a kiss. That was kind of natural, right? In fact, it was probably the opposite I needed to be hearing is don't go so far, right? But we don't have to naturally, someone you love, you're infatuated with, you want to be with them, you want to spend time with them, and and that's the time and touch. And we've made our relationship, though, about just the highs, so many, uh, it's like that Uh, Have you seen teenagers today and they'll post on Facebook, oh, I love him. He's so wonderful. He's the best. Three weeks later, this guy, I love him. He's so wonderful. Three weeks later, there's another guy. I love him. He's so wonderful. What is that? Uh, you You are infatuated. You want to touch and be time with a person, but you don't love him. And that's the same true. We'll go to this church when they're in revival and and that church when they're in revival. And when when my life is doing good, I'm with Jesus and I I love to shout and sing and get the touch of the goosebumps of the service and weep with the altar and and all that. But on a day-to-day basis, it's just me, man. It's just all about my life and what I got going on. and, And we're all about the highs and never the lows. But man, when the Holy Spirit does touch you, that leads to infatuation, which I think is a good step for the next one. It's when the Holy Spirit touches my life, and I get obsessed with Jesus. And that, that obsession causes me to fall into that romantic love. And Man, when you get obsessed with someone, they're all you can talk about, and they're all that you want to spend with, and all your money, and your parents are like, man, why are you blowing all your money on that girl? Don't you realize you've got to pay some bills, and you need to pay your car? note?" but man, I'm infatuated with her. And everything Jesus gets now, I'm infatuated. He touched my life with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm infatuated with him. And he's all that I want, all that I long for. But, you know, if we, if we do that and we just stay there, we're just going to make it about the short term. And I think about the, the rich young, or the, that moment when Jesus says in Luke 14, That we've got to count the cost. And he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life. Or you can't be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Because what is he asking? Yeah, if you're really infatuated with me, you'll marry me. Ladies, if he really loves you, he'll put a ring on that finger, right? If he really thinks you're all that, he'll go all the way in. And he'll commit, and he'll talk to your parents, and he'll make that date, and he'll buy that ring, and he'll do everything he's got to do to marry you because that's what Jesus is asking. He's saying, if you really love me, then enter into a lifelong commitment with me. Marry me. Come and be my bride. And it's an exclusive commitment. It's for those who say, I've been touched by Jesus. I believe he's washed my sins away. And his love, listen to me. His love is worth my everything. And I was asking the Lord even today, I said, God, how come we have a problem with faithfulness in the church? How come we have a problem with giving in the church? God, how come we have a problem with attendance in the church? And it comes all to right here. Is His love worth everything? Is His love worth going all in, selling out, committing giving him all that I am, say, Jesus, yes, you're worth my whole life. And that leads me to a life of faithfulness where I can say, Jesus, here's the proof of my love. I'll be faithful to your word. I'll produce a spiritually fruitful life. And just to say, like Peter said, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus comes and retorts to us and says, then feed my sheep then be faithful. Whatever I've called you to do, be faithful. Build my church. Grow and be a part of what I care about. But like Ephesus, so many, even in the religious routine, we've become bored and turned to other things. And for those of us maybe here today, we need to make an exclusive commitment, or maybe we need to work on our faithfulness. And the way you do that is, number seven, a life of reflection. It's coming in week after week like this. It's getting in my Bible every day and and being thankful. It's having those family devotions where I can come out and I I can hold that book there and I can say, yes, God has been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. And go like Peter and go back with him and say, I remember the moment I was called. I remember the moment Jesus touched my life. I remember the moments where I fell in love with Jesus. I remember going to that altar where God changed my life. I remember the time where he healed me of this and he provided my needs for this. And those Christians who stay there, unlike the Ephesian church and unlike Peter when he failed, it's in those moments of hard times, in those moments of faithlessness, where I can hold on to the word and say, God, you've always been faithful. Your love has always been for me. And I'm just as in love with you today as I've always been. I'm even more in love with you again today. And that's why we go to church. church that's how we come together is to remind ourselves how great is our God. And I want to fall more and more and more in love with him. And let's not just be Christians that are just about the pursuit and the attraction and the infatuation and the touch But Christians that say, God, it's worth a lifelong commitment. It's worth faithfulness. And over and over again, I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Worship team, would you come? Would you stand with me all across this room? I'm giving you this challenge today, and this is your homework. Is this. In your hand is a slip of paper. And if not, you can do this. And those listening online can do it this way as well. My challenge for you this week, this month, is to write down 50 reasons why you love Jesus. It's to reflect. I want you to reflect. And don't just write down the Sunday school answers. Write some of those down. But don't just write the the cop-out answers. But why do you, sir or ma'am, why do you? What is it about what God has done for you that you love Jesus? And you may not only be able to write 20. That's okay. As we go through this series, God's going to begin to inspire you. And you're going to remember some things over the next weeks and months. And I want you to save that piece of paper. Put it on a a mirror or put it in your Bible or a notebook that you can continue to add. And when you get to 50, I want you to let somebody know why you love Jesus. I want you to tell somebody some of the reasons that are on there of why you love Jesus. Because it's not about just for us. We are to go into the world and give a reason for the hope and the love that we had, that someone would look at us and say, hey, why are they so happy? Why do they look like they're in love? Why do they look like they just got married? Why do they look like this is the best day on earth? Because I am in love with Jesus, and he's in love with me. Why do you love Jesus? This morning, I want you to take an examination of yourself. Only you and God know. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. Everybody is just you and Jesus in the room.